Hello, welcome to Pitch Purpose. I am your host, Tony Winslow. I want to thank you all for being here. It is an honor to have you here with me. I know that there's all kinds of things that you could be doing with your time, whether you are listening to this live or whether you are listening to the recording. Thank you for being here. I uh, appreciate and so grateful for the support. And I want to give a specific shout out to my friend, Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo, I would not be here without you. I'm so thankful. I don't really believe in luck, but it was some who luck that I met you on that community group and so much support and mentorship and guidance and helped me build my confidence uh, for doing this and giving me tools to set up for success. So thank you, Pablo. So what is the motivation for, for Pitch Purpose? So I set out in 2022, my goal was to build a personal brand on LinkedIn uh, well, a personal brand primarily using LinkedIn as the platform to create content. What I learned in that process was that the people who are successful building brands have some sort of a, a niche. They have this point of view that's unique to them and it's something that they talk about frequently and that they, that they care about. So I started to think, okay, what are the things, what can be my niche? Uh, my niche could be product marketing. I know a little bit about that. My niche could be sales. I know a little bit about that. My niche could be the office because I know way too much about that. But when I thought about it, I was like, okay, I can, I can take or leave those things. I don't really care. What I do care about is purpose. I care about mission. I believe, and I've been taught that mission and marketing go together, that purpose and profit can be pursued at the same time. And you know, it's not, it's not a trade-off. You can do them both uh, with equal force and with equal passion. So when I think about entrepreneurship, it starts with either a market insight or a technology insight. And these are terms I learned from the book, uh, Play Bigger, if you're interested. So a market insight is something like, I see a problem. Okay, how am I gonna build technology around it? And then a technology insight is, I learned this about technology. I learned that technology can do this. Okay, what is the market insight? What is the need that I'm gonna solve through this technology? And actually learned from reading this book, Play Bigger, that the company, uh, that Pixar, it started with the technology that he believed that computers can be used to make animation. And originally he was selling these animation making computers, but then learned later uh, or while well through, through acquisition that uh, that wasn't the way that they were gonna be successful. So they started creating their own movies with the technology. So that is a technology insight. But this is the way that most companies are built. And what I want to do with Pitch Purpose, what I want to challenge leaders, marketers, founders, is to have a third insight, which is a purpose insight. So your company exists not just to solve your customers' problems, but to serve people who are vulnerable and who are in need. So that is why I'm so excited to introduce to you my first guest for Pitch Purpose, Ryan Berg. He, uh, he started with a purpose insight, and he is the CEO and co-founder of the Aruna Projects. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, Tony, am I in? Yes, you're in. How you doing? Awesome. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for uh, for inviting me to be to be a guest on the show and and your first guest. That's that's a true yes. honor. I appreciate that. My pleasure. So, why don't you tell me uh, briefly what is the Aruna Project? Absolutely. So Aruna, we're an athleisure lifestyle brand uh, that actually creates functional luxury uh, bags and accessories, but it's driven by the mission of creating lifelong freedom for victims of human trafficking. So 
by combining the best of both nonprofit and for-profit, we're able to create lifelong freedom for survivors of human trafficking. So 100% of our products are actually made by survivors of human trafficking. And then 100% of those profits get pushed right back in to the mission so that we could see more freed and employed and empowered. Yes. And you, uh, are actually so it looks like you're in your office now they get you uh in a special room with all the shipping <laughs> no actually i'm back i'm way back in our the back of our offices we've got so many meetings going up in the front yeah. part of the office uh that you know it's one big open space and so we're you know you can hear everybody kind of talk and things like that so i thought i might try and sneak back here to to allow for some better audio there you go so when I uh, learned about sex slavery, sex trafficking, I was uh, reading a book probably about 10 years ago. And the, the book was about, it's called Counterculture. It's about major issues that are facing society that need action. So one of those issues being sex slavery. And my eyes were just open uh, to, or they were open to just the, the depravity of it and how prevalent it is and you know as i was reading you know the, the stories that the author david platt shared were about uh you know these uh girls in the himalayan region uh like nepal india who are somebody will come into their village into their remote village they're destitute and horrible poverty and uh this person will essentially go and promise to like their parents and to this little girl like hey you're gonna have this future i'm gonna give you a prosperous future so come with me Little they know that she is going to be later sold uh, to be trafficked and to serve customers on an ongoing basis with with sex. So uh, I was just blown away, and I started googling and learning more about you know what what this problem was and the statistics around it, and my heart was was broken. So you know I set out at that time when I was learning. I was like, okay, this is something that I cannot forget. Not just that I can't forget, but that I need to consciously remember because it's easy when something's happening on the other side of the world to forget about it and to live, you know, live your life ignoring it. And I did not want that to happen. So push me to get involved and to learn about organizations like yours. So why don't you tell me what is your origin story? How did you learn about the problem and how did you figure out what to do about it? Yeah, I, uh, you know, similar to you, it was kind of a surprise. Uh, I had no idea that it was happening. Um, I was in an airport and on CNN, I saw a little ticker line that made reference to 12 children being rescued from a brothel. And I was, I was kind of floored. I thought, what? And it was this sort of incongruency of this is happening on a scale to where CNN is reporting on it, but somehow this isn't common knowledge that everybody isn't, isn't, you know, joining in to try and bring about change it just seemed odd to me that we would that it would it would be that known and yet that there wouldn't be people mm -hmm. seeking to do something about it so but for me i you know that was the first time i saw it so i i got home and i started googling and i started learning and and realized the very place that i was heading in three weeks uh which happened to be you know in south asia and india uh, was a significant destination location for human trafficking. And so I told my wife, I said, when I get there, I'm going to find this. And if there's something that we can do, you know, we, we have to do something. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave out a lot of the details, but essentially I found this particular area and 
stepped into this particular brothel and it was just the smell of stale urine and you know it was pitch black even though it was in the middle of the afternoon and as my eyes adjusted there was just movement everywhere there were there were rats all over the place and i got to the steps and i started to move up these steps and and i could start to hear the sound of abuse and i got to the top of those steps and it opened into this long corridor where there was literally just woman after woman standing there with nothing more than just these little closet-sized rooms with mattresses and pool curtains. And it was devastating. I had never seen human trafficking face-to-face. I, I was so naive. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. Um, and, you know, I tried to talk about hope for a future or something like that. But if I could be honest, hope, hope doesn't exist in that place. It's, it's a place of despair. And, and I stepped out onto the street and there was a, there was a pimp that was quoted as saying, you do-gooders show up a day late and leave a day early. And I thought this guy is literally banking on the fact that people are not going to challenge him in this work. And so I went about the rest of my you know, time there, the meetings, the reason that I was there and the work that we were doing, but I could not shake it. And so when I got back, my wife and I talked about it. We're, we're people of faith and we spent time praying about it. We decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to go back and we're going to do something about this. And so we actually went back to that area, took our three little kids, and we actually embedded in the area for a number of months and started to do the research. And so we met with government officials. We met with nonprofit organizations. And we met with women in the area and just simply asked, a thousand questions, mission, vision, values, methods, constraints, anything we could to try and get our arms around the issue and try to understand why is this happening? Where are the gaps? Where are the successes? Where are the failures? And ultimately, is there anything that we can do to help? Yeah. So how did you land on the bags and the athleisure wear um, and what did that look like? Sure. So we, uh, a, a big part of it, it wasn't, it wasn't the initial goal. Uh, mm-hmm. The initial question for us was, you know, once we got back from that initial trip and we started to learn about trafficking that was taking place here in the U.S. as well, because trafficking has been reported in every single state here in the U.S., mm-hmm. we wanted to try and develop something that could actually have an impact internationally as well as locally. So the design was how, how can we create something that can have essentially a, an international sisterhood of women who are overcoming. Mm-hmm. And, and so as we started to dig into the research even more, as we started to take all of that information that we had gathered, we knew very quickly that sustainable employment was absolutely key if we're going to actually create lifelong freedom. And what I mean by that is there was, there was a research study that was actually done uh, out of Boston in eight different metropolitan areas around the world that looked at women who had been trafficked, had been then freed, and tried to track the sustainability of that freedom. And what they found is that almost eight out of 10 were being re-trafficked. So that's a 20% success rate. And that's only for those who were freed. Yeah. And that success rate, part of the part of the problem of only hitting a 20% success rate was because there weren't a number of things in place, one of which was, was sustainable employment. Sure. Part of the reason there wasn't sustainable employment is because there weren't, you know, developed skill and trade 
to be able to step into employment opportunities. There weren't life skills that had been developed. The trauma that the girls had gone through hadn't been dealt with. There wasn't supportive community. There wasn't safe environment. There were a number of factors. And so we decided, okay, we've got to create a business that that is truly a viable business that is mm-hmm. producing high quality product that competes in the market, regardless if you know the backstory or not. We have to create really sharp product. And then once we layer in this, the reason we're making the product, our why, we felt like that's that's a powerful combination. And, and as you look at the research, you know, from, from millennial to Gen Z and the significant want that their purchasing power actually does good, not just environmentally, but also for human impact, we thought, okay, we, there's a unique opportunity here. And so essentially to answer your question, top layer was we've got to create a business that competes the second layer down asking, okay, well, what should that product look like? What should it be? We started to ask, well, what do we think that these artisans could make? And so we started to test some different things. And then we also started to look at the market opportunity. And we knew that within the athleisure space, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a booming industry. And some of the projections of where it's going to be, you know, in the next eight, 10 years, it, it's going to continue to rise, going to continue to increase. And so we thought there's a unique market opportunity there because out of all of those products that are being produced, there's very few that are having human impact. And yet that's what there, there's a desire within the culture for that. So we thought, okay, we can produce this product and meet this cultural want. We could be really uniquely positioned to be able to offer customers both an incredible product and incredible impact at the same time and be able to actually uh, help these women in, in creating sustainable freedom. And so that's the direction we started to move. Um, so we started to test some basic athletic drawstring products. Mm-hmm. And the women that were initially freed started to learn those. And, and we kind of stuck with those for a while. And eventually the artisans started to tell us, they said, you know, these are so easy. Give us something more. Challenge us a little yeah. bit more. We want to try some other things. And, and we said, okay, what are you guys thinking? And they came up with some of their own ideas, spent some time actually constructing some of their own products mm-hmm. and basically said, this is the level that we think we can get to. This is the design ideas that we that we have and so that basically kind of sent us in a in a much more quick trajectory toward getting to more higher level you know fashion bags and accessories absolutely and as a uh, consumer of aruna as well they are very high quality we use the uh uh the sonu backpack as our diaper bag which is fun oh that's awesome that's uh, maybe cool it wasn't intended that way but it works <laughs> perfect for us and Good. uh yeah, I'm super excited, and we'll get into this later. But for the uh, the run this year, I'm excited to see that there's children's uh, sizes for the for the shirts. So my mm-hmm. little kids will have their little Aruna swag too. So yeah. well, thank you for for that uh, for that background. So why don't you tell me? Uh, you know, a, a big thing with this purpose of this podcast is I want actionable lessons and insights from leaders like you. So what are the lessons that you you know up to this point of you know you said you asked a lot of questions, but what would you say? Uh, to leaders, you know, from what you've learned? Absolutely. I would say one of the primary leadership lessons is to seek to understand before speaking. Um, 
I feel like in our culture today, oftentimes the loudest voice seems to draw the most attention. And yet oftentimes maybe it's not the wisest voice. It's, uh, and so I would just simply say, it's, I think it's very wise is, as leaders to ask a lot of questions, to seek to understand, and in that understanding, to ask even further to ensure that your understanding is accurate. Because to be able to understand things deeply, to understand things more comprehensively and understand them well, helps us move toward, you know, if it's a problem, it helps us move toward actual solutions. You know, if it's if if it's a relational challenge, it helps us to understand the other person's need or want, and help us move toward you know some 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 ways to actually bridge those gaps and actually you know reduce conflict and, and actually get to a point of working together. And so, anytime when I'm thinking of a much you know like those broader concepts in terms of leadership, I think it's I think it's so wise to ask, to listen. And to seek to understand. Sure. So you've mentioned this several times. You kind of hit on it before, but that Aruna is you want to create the best of for-profit and the best of non-profit. So tell me about like how you yeah, you developed relationships and you mentioned obstacles as well. Like what about the obstacles that you overcame, things that you didn't expect, and how you, you know, um, persevered through that. This, Tony, <laughs> the amount of challenges and obstacles uh, that we have faced are hard to, you know, put in a list. There, there have been so many. Um, obviously, when you're dealing with something like human trafficking, it's organized crime. There's significant levels of corruption. Just as you shared on the onset here, there's a whole, you know system of how it works, particularly in international locations where you've got someone like a Dalal who will go out to a countryside, you know, use deception, bring that girl, sell her to someone called the Malik, who then it's his job to basically break her. And from that Malik, the Malik then hands her over to someone called the Garwali, who then trains her in the, in the systems. And then, you know, once she's no longer a flight risk, once she's not going to run anywhere, that Garwali sells her down to the street level pimp. By the time she hits that street, often people are saying, oh, why doesn't she run? By the time she hits the street, she's got no options. She's got no hope. Um, and in many ways, we look at that and you know, that, that to us is a point where we've got to figure out, okay, how, do we, how do we really press into this thing to, to create significant change? Um, and so I would say that obstacle of that sort of ingrained sort of trauma over that process uh, has been without question the most significant challenge. The depth and the level of what that trauma has done uh, is so difficult to work through. On the US side, that, that trauma runs just as deep. The process is a bit different because typically it's a Romeo pimp who, who seeks to actually almost intoxicate with love and gifts and different things like that. And then starts to isolate and then starts to, in many ways, create dependency, typically on some sort of a drug or narcotic. So then the, the, you know, she becomes a little bit more pliable. And then once that isolation is complete, starts to capitalize on her through trafficking. And, and here in the States, there's much more you know, addiction that kind of runs through underneath or on top of that trauma. 
And so those challenges are tremendously difficult. And so I would say one of the, one of the most significant has just been that depth of trauma. Um, yeah. And then trying to move them to that point of healing and then to try and help develop skill and trade uh, to be able to actually, you know, create multi you know, functional products and things like that to be, to have employability sure. skills. Um, and, and, and then you've got, you know, the challenges of, of doing international business and, you know, yeah. when you're, you've got changing duty rates and, you know, you know, supply issues with COVID and things like that, just running a typical international business. Sure. So you're saying like with these women, with the trauma that they've endured, it's not that you can just like, you know, go in and, and talk to these women and say, Hey, like I can promise you, like, let's talk about hope. I can give you a bigger future. Like they're so there's, this is their life and they, they have to completely be ready to like know that they can detach themselves from that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's some of the most challenging work that we do is through our, our outreach centers that are in the heart of some of these red light areas where we're going into those brothels on a consistent basis to actually try and paint the pathway of freedom. That without question is some of the most difficult work to get some of those women to start in, in young women to start to believe that there is the possibility of a different future. Almost a hundred percent of the time when I'm, when I'm inside those, those situations and those settings, if I say something to the effect of come with us, you know, your, your housing will be paid for, your food will be paid for, will help to develop employability skills that will then, you know, allow you to get a, a, another job somewhere in the marketplace, you know, all of it's provided. Will you come with us? Uh, almost immediately, you know, she'll be asking about what about my sister in the village or what about my child like they they will immediately move towards someone else benefiting and when i yeah. start to ask well what about your future they'll basically say i don't have a future and so they'll live vicariously through the future of a child or a sibling and you have to consistently say well i'm talking about your future you do have a future there is the hope there is possibility and for, for many of them, it takes a long time for them to get to that point and say, maybe, just maybe I can start hoping again. Because yeah. to hope, you know, and then to have that hope fall or to have that hope crash down can be absolutely devastating. And so that hope oftentimes is built on opportunity. It's built on trust. And for these women, there is no opportunity. There is no trust of people. And so it takes a long time to build that trust to help them understand sure. and see the opportunity for then hope to be rekindled so that they can say, okay, I'm ready to fight again. Get me out of here. So not your business is, is very unique and it is the nonprofit aspect and the for-profit and it's very tangible. You notice the effects when you purchase the product, it has the girl's name, uh, girl's names inside of it of, you know, who you're contributing to. Uh, their lifelong freedom, which is, is super cool and it's unique. And uh, not most businesses can't function this way to where they have that purchase, which is, or they don't, uh, the purchase that has these tangible businesses across the world. Like, what do you say to leaders of, you know, uh, of other companies where they have this passion and this mission? It's not really ingrained within their business model. Like, how can they operationalize their purpose and their cause? to uh to make an impact 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Tony. And I and I I would say it's going to be unique to each. Um, you know, if you kind of get into the particulars and the specifics of how. But if we take that question kind of a layer up a little bit to kind of try and generalize it to to people, I would say without question, one of the one of the defining principles has to be genuineness. The the idea now that there's a lot of you know companies moving in the direction of eco friendly and things like that. You know, we see greenwashing is kind of the phrase that gets used. Uh, you know, to just to try and present yourself as somebody who's eco friendly, but it's not actually truly ingrained in the organization. Or to you know to say, hey, we want to have human impact, but it's not actually truly ingrained in the organization. I, I would say that there is a significant need for genuineness in the pursuit of what we're going after or what a company wants to go after. And the reason I say that is because at some point that's going to get tested. Mm -hmm. You know, COVID was a, a great test for people to actually say, are our core values truly genuine to who we are as an organization and a company? And so for us, we basically said, you know, one of our core values is our, our primary stakeholders are these women. And so we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to ensure that they're financially provided for, even if that means and and it did mean that I reduced my pay. I hit there was an you know an impact on me for the sake of those particular women. And to yeah. me, that you start to when when money starts to get involved, you start to 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 see how quickly the genuineness of the mission is truly an aspect of the organization. And so I think that's a great list, litmus test uh, for Absolutely. an organization to say, are we genuine in this work? So let's switch gears a little bit. Tell me about your favorite story from Aruna, from your time. Yeah, there's, oh my goodness, there's, there's so many. We, we actually here in the office, we have an entire wall that just has the pictures of all of the young women who are freed and now employed with us. And, you know, it's all the, all the artisans and, and I can, I can walk you through almost every one of their, their stories. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I would say that there have been a few that have just, you know, grabbed my heart so much. Um, so I'll, I'll just share a couple really quickly. One, sure. um, every time I, you know, we've got incredible teams that do, do the work that we're doing. And I'll typically head overseas um, to meet with some of the teams. Um, and I typically do that quarterly. And and I'll meet with all of the new artisans that have come in since the last time I was there, talk with them about the business structure, talk with them about the future direction where we're going. You know, we try and let them know everything. We try to be very transparent on everything. And, uh, you know, and usually, you know, a few of them will ask some questions and we'll have some, diet, you know, chit chat back and forth and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, in this one particular case, um, you know, a couple of these girls are asking questions and we've been talking for about 45 minutes, but there was one young woman who didn't say a word the entire time, just stared down at her feet the entire time. And our aftercare, you know, specialist is always there with us. And, um, I said, okay, you know, are there, are there any final questions or thoughts or anything like that? And this young girl just started to talk and she, she was talking and she was, she was speaking Hindi and she was going so fast. I couldn't quite catch what she was saying. Sure. And, and she got louder and she got louder and then she just started to sob. And then she looked right at me and she, you know, she, and 
my part where I start going is a, you know, kind of like, okay, what's the problem? What's the issue? How do we help her? Yeah. What, you know, and our aftercare specialist, I kind of looked at her and she said, Ryan, four years ago, you were inside one of the brothels and you were in a particular room and you were talking about creating a business for women who were in need. And four years ago, you were kind of painting this, this opportunity and you said it hadn't been created yet, but you were working really hard to do it. And, and she said, Ryan, that was her room. That was her in that place. And she thought, as you were saying it, that there was no way that any would, would do this on behalf of her. And there's no possibility that it would actually happen. And she said, now that she's sitting here in this place and seeing this facility, she said, my hope has been restored. My life has been transformed. I can't imagine what's in store for me. Yeah. And it was so, so powerful because, you know, we were, we were in doing so much of the work on the front end before we were able to get everything built on the back end and to actually see her and her perseverance over those four years to finally get to the point of, of being in freedom was just tremendous. And she has been an awesome artisan over the past number of years. Yeah. Um, and then there's just other, there's just other stories. I mean, a, a young, young woman that we, you know, saw freed and stepped into the business, uh, started saving up her own money. And we didn't know this cause we never purchase women out. We, we, we try to be very much more strategic. Um, but she actually saved up her pay and over Christmas went back in and purchased her own mother's freedom. Wow. And as my wife and I were there, you know, a couple months later, we're in their apartment, we're having tea, two other women come in and we chit chat, those two women leave. And then we come to find out that the mom, when she was freed, helped to free those two women. And so it just wow. became this cascading effect. And, and the artisans are picking up on that. They just, they, they basically recognize their jobs are yes, they're a benefit to them, but they also recognize as they continue to grow and excel at their work, it creates opportunity for others in need to step into the business. So, yeah, we could we could go on and on with a lot yeah, of stories. No, those are those are incredible stories, and I don't know about the people who are watching who are listening. I was getting like the chills, and uh, anyways, it's just incredible. Thank you for for sharing. So. Where was I here? Uh, so COVID-19, you touched on that. So tell me about the impact that that had on your business and just in general, the obstacles that you faced over the years, how you maintain that, that hope and that purpose and uh, just, you know, keep going and pushing against these obstacles that are coming, you know, frequently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, COVID was very, very difficult for a manufacturing company. Uh, when your manufacturing unit gets shut down mm -hmm. and we, we got to the point where, you know, we were, we were selling well through the initial first parts of the pandemic. Um, but then we, we had product outages. We had, we sold out of product and, and obviously with things being shut down, we couldn't re, you know, restock inventory. Um, and so it, it created some really challenging dynamics on the business side because we weren't having that revenue coming in. But also then on the artisan care side, isolation is one of the triggers of trauma for most of these women. And so for them to be isolated and quarantined oh, yeah. uh, was really challenging. And so we created a whole sort of uh, 
sort of a check-in process. There was this sort of cascading check-in process to try and make sure that there were daily check-ins that you know the women were doing well and things like that. And our aftercare specialist did a did a phenomenal job with that. Um, but we basically then circled up all you know everybody and kind of said, all right, we're gonna we're gonna make you know we basically had an economic downturn plan in place actually prior to the pandemic. We didn't you know we didn't know that we were going to be using it, but we had it in place just as kind of a security measure. Sure. And as soon as the pandemic hit, and then as soon as we, you know, started seeing all the shutdowns and things like that, we started to move through that downturn plan. And and one of the key functions was to create a uh, basically what we called an artisan stability fund, where we basically pulled in a lot of the resources to make sure that they were they were well taken care of. Um, and so that that basically was just a, an expression of our core values, you know, being Absolutely. tested, and we and we followed through on the priority of the core values to make sure that they were cared for. Um, so those, those, I would say the, but the general theme behind, you know, how we persevere is we basically just look at, and, and we ask the question, if I ask the question, if, if I was trapped in a place like that, who would I want fighting for my freedom on the outside? And I know myself enough to say, I would want me fighting for me. And, and I want, I want to build a team of people that I would say, if I were trapped, I want that team fighting for me. And that's, I would say by God's grace, we have seen an incredible team of people come together who are willing to, to really fight for these women's freedom. Absolutely. So what would be in all those obstacles that you overcame, uh, what would be the, the lesson that you would give, um, to business leaders when they're going to face challenging times? And, you know, the market's unstable right now. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, how, what's your advice? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think I can only, I, I suppose I can only really answer in our particular context, but for us, yeah. it's, it's, it's even kind of the title of your, your show. It's, it's our purpose. It's. Mm -hmm. The reason why we exist is the reason why we continue to persevere in the midst of challenge. And so for us, it's, it's a, you know, as challenges come up, it, it isn't, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll just close up shop and try something else. It's no, we have to figure out how we overcome this challenge, how we continue yeah. on, how we shift, how we move, how we change strategy, whatever it may be. But there's never a question in our minds of, okay, well, I, I guess we just close up shop and it's, no, we, we continue on. And so um, I would say it's that just basic sort of grit, determination, perseverance, but it's all rooted in the purpose of why we exist. Absolutely. So let's uh, talk about some recommendations that you have as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, books that you've read, leadership frameworks, people that you follow, uh, mentorships you've maybe seeked. What recommendations do you have? Well, I suppose it's, you know, dependent upon your genre and things like that. Sure. I, I uh, as a person of faith, I love, I love Jesus. I, I, I follow him. Um, and so I would say some different books that I've read related to that and related to what we do. 
there's there's one called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering that is is I, I think tremendously powerful. Um, there's another uh, called Pilgrim's Progress. That's an old uh, favorite that I really enjoy. Um, just in terms of of things related to um, you know trauma and people who have gone through trauma, whatever that trauma may be, it could be a number yeah. of different things. There's a tremendous book uh, by an author named Basil Vanderkolk called The Body Keeps Score that uh, is so rich with information. Um, yeah. And, and moving through, um, I would say in terms of leadership, I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of five dysfunctions of the team. Uh, that seems to be like the common that a lot of people go to, but I, I, yeah. I think it's great. Um, as far as leadership framework, I, you know, people may not, know this um uh this this sort of leadership event but there's there's a, a guy named jay lorenzen who does a leadership seminar it's not even like a seminar it's like a fully immersive experience cool. in gettysburg and it's it's basically this this gettysburg leadership experience and mm -hmm. it is without question the best leadership training that I have I have ever seen, experienced, read, and he's got a whole framework of you know how he kind of you know what a leader does in the midst of certain circumstances and things like that. You walk the sure. battlefield and you're recounting choices that were made and why those choices were made. And I mean, it is it is really really well done. That's that's awesome. I and what I love about the stories or the books that you share and the recommendations is from a marketing marketer's perspective, it's about understanding your customers. So you you walk through the pain and the problems that they have, and it doesn't you know it's not always as you know, well. It's not frequently the the trauma like you're mentioning to where you're understanding them, but you know wherever wherever you're at, you can understand you know the paths that your customers have gone through. Um, your primary stakeholders, whether it be your employees, just really trying to, you know, get that empathy uh, as a leader, which is which is huge. So how can we follow uh, and, uh, you know, keep up with all the awesome things that y'all are doing with Aruna? Uh, plenty of plenty of ways. Um, you can uh, obviously there's we talk about these Aruna runs that we have that happen all across the U.S., different ways that people get involved in Aruna runs. Um, People can apply to actually host an Aruna run. We've got a whole online training curriculum of how people can do that, involve their whole local communities, involve your, you know, your office, your business, your company. Um, we've also got opportunities for corporate sponsorship to be able to sponsor those Aruna runs in various locations. Mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously you can, you can participate in Aruna run. Uh, our one in Cincinnati, where, where our U.S. headquarters is, is uh, kind of our flagship. And and this year we'll be attempting to to take back a world record that we once held. And so it should be uh, should be a lot of fun. What is the world record? Is it for the the most people? Or is it for? Uh, yeah, it's, what is the world record? Yeah, it's kind of nuanced. It's 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 interesting. It's meaningful. It's the, sure. uh, the most people to complete a 5K while being linked together and so oh, it's yeah. kind of symbolic you know you link yourself together you know to help free other people and yeah. so it's it's a sub event to the large event so the larger event obviously you know there's there's you know 1500 
2,000 people that are running. But for that world record, it's a sub-event uh, to yeah. the event itself. So, so people can join in Aruna Runs. People can obviously purchase product. Um, what some people don't know is we actually have two divisions of product. And so we've got, you know, the great, you know, functional luxury bags that we produce. But we also have bulk customizable products like canvas totes, athletic drawstring bags, customizable headbands um, that some companies will use. Uh, conferences will use them, different things like that. And then uh, obviously people can people can donate toward the cause on the nonprofit side. That that money goes into our our outreach centers and training centers to try and help facilitate the freedom process and continue to carry on the mission internationally as well as domestically. Um, Absolutely. And then people can obviously share. You know, people can share the stories. They can share on socials. They can do all that stuff. And so, and speaking of sharing, that you know your you know, to share with your viewers here, we've got Pitch Purpose 10 is a code that people can use yes. to actually shop and uh, and get 10% off their purchase. Awesome. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. Thank you for pro providing that. If you didn't hear a promo code that you can use for the Aruna Project website for their shop is Pitch Purpose 10. It's not case sensitive. Um, and uh, I think I want to buy the, uh, I think it's, is it Sony? Is it so not Sony? No, the Ra Rami or Ra the Rami. Oh. Yeah, sorry, Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie backpack. Um, it looks, uh, yeah, I'm so glad that they have, um, some more, uh, man, uh, products, uh, which yeah. is, uh, which is exciting. I actually, I actually use the Ronnie every day. It's, a, you know, nice. it's, it's the sort of stuff that I re the, the fabric is actually considered like a military grade fabric. It's oh, really? really strong fabric. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really good stuff. That's cool. And, uh, we are, I do have a team together, my wife and my two kids. Uh, so Becky, Timothy, and Julie and I, we do have a team. It's Pitch Purpose. If you, uh, I'll, I'll share the link out, but if you just, you know, Google Cincinnati or Runa Run, you can either you get to a race roster page. You can join our team. You can donate to our team. You can create your own, but it's so much fun in Cincinnati to be able to take my family and to celebrate usually good weather on Labor Day. Hmm. So thank you so much, Ryan, for, for being here. I'm so honored and privileged that you are here and just can share your story and that this can, you know, kick off Pitch Purpose. And thank you as well to, again, to the audience and everyone, everyone listening. Absolutely. Thanks, Tony. All right. Take care, everyone.